Hello everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Floor is Rising. With hosts Sabretooth, a professional NFT collector, and Kazoo, a professional art critic. On this podcast we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting and analyzing NFTs. So, if you are a creator or a collector of NFTs, jump in. The water is warm. Hi everyone, this is Sabretooth, with me is Kizu, and this is an episode of Floor is Rising. Joining us today, John Bergerman is a UK-born NYC-based artist. He's pretty much OG in the NFT space starting in 2020, but also has a very burgeoning uh, traditional contemporary art background. Welcome, John, to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? Doing great. John, tell us, how did you get into NFTs? In the beginning of 2020, I think, or maybe even the end of 2019, I got an email from a group called Gemini, I think, and they wanted to see if I'd be interested in making some new, you know, some digital work for a a new platform they they were developing. And uh, if I wanted to go in and have a meeting and and chat to them about it. And, uh, And I did. And I had no idea what they were talking about. They were chatting about these things called NFTs. And they sort of gave me a, a rundown of like how it works and the blockchain technology and, and everything. I sat in this big conference room, but there was like just four of us in there. It was kind of funny. And they gave me some fancy water. And I, and I met I met one of the uh, Winkleboss twins. I can't right. remember which one. Yeah. And uh, and I came away thinking, wow, that's interesting. But like, what? Like, how's this going to work? And yeah, like I said, at the beginning of 2020. So I didn't really know anyone else that knew about these things, or I'd never heard it mentioned before, and I didn't hear much about it after that. So I just thought these guys, you know, it could be interesting, but I didn't didn't really think too hard on it but they kept following up with emails about when i would do a drop with them and eventually i did i think in the in the spring of 2020 so just as the pandemic had swept across to to the u.s all this was in new york i should say so um and yeah and i, and I did a drop and it and it you know sold out within a blink of an eye and i was like what what just happened what are these things who were buying these things where's all this going and uh, yeah, I was I was still a little suspicious as to like what it what it all was and what it all meant. And they kept following up, and I did some more drops. And I mean, it was a real lifeline at that time because you can imagine, as for a lot of people, everything I had been planning for that year was now cancelled, and didn't look like it was ever going to happen. Exhibitions, projects, live you know performance works, all these kind of things have been been uh, removed from my calendar so this gave me a gave me something to do and it gave me a bit of a lifeline just to give everyone background uh john's talking about nifty gateway um oh yeah that's right i didn't even (laughs) yeah who's run by the the cock foster twins who was acquired by the owners of gemini exchange who is uh which is run by the the winklevoss twins so it's like twin on twin kind of nft Mm. It's the, yeah, Apple D duplicate or something. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of amazing that you, you know, that that, that you talked about it. I I think you're one one of the first artists we've had on the show 
who was kind of directly pitched in the early days by Nifty Gateway, because that was their strategy, actually, to sort of really make NFTs into a thing, which is to take sort of contemporary artists who had uh, a reputation in the in the sort of contemporary art world and to to really move them into, into NFTs. And obviously, that's that's kind of been a spectacular success, you know, over the past two years. But you were kind of one of the first people who who sort of took that leap. It sounds to me like you were basically talent scouted or handpicked, I guess is the word. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if, if you had a sense of what it is in your work that you think they were interested in specifically in regards to the medium of NFTs. I don't know exactly, to be honest, but I will say in my career thus far, I'm often hit up for experimental things and trying new stuff out, whether it's a you know startup companies or some new exhibition space, or it just feels like over the years, like people have, have gravitated towards me when they're trying something new. Maybe I have a of gullible, innocent, naive demeanor that, you know, people think, yeah, he'll go for it. Or maybe I'm just chronically desperate for attention and and love and um, will say yes to anyone or anything. I don't know. I think, I mean, maybe there's elements of those things, but also they didn't sort of uh, clarify exactly why they were picking me other than I think they like my work. They've seen my work in other forms and they just imagined it would be cool on their platform in this way. I mean, as you mentioned, I, I have a traditional background, I guess, but you know, my work has existed across so many different media over the years, from you know, paintings and drawings, but projections and stickers and posters and prints and and uh, vinyl toys and on apparel, so lots of licensing. Digital stickers, uh, you know, I did wearables for PlayStation like 15 odd years ago where you could buy like my animated uh, sneakers and sweatshirts for PlayStation Home and I've done video game stuff. So my, my work has bled into lots of different uh, uh, areas. So maybe they saw the potential in that, you know, that I'm not, they didn't pick someone that just makes oil paintings and, and never strayed beyond that uh, maybe maybe they were aware that my work exists across platforms and across media as well maybe they just liked it i, I have no idea i'm curious as to just the mechanics of how sort of your traditional quote-unquote art career actually works the nft career of most artists is, <laughs> is pretty transparent comparatively because mm-hmm. you can sort of see when someone's minted on what platform and their social media. And, and, and so you could, you, you get a really good sense of what someone's sort of NFT career progression is, but I'm still very curious as to, because you've done so much stuff in your sort of traditional contemporary art, you know, as you mentioned, from toys, the books, apparel, shoes, mm-hmm. Also, a ton of installations all over the world. Like, how does that happen? <laughs> like, is it just you just <laughs> you just get pitched over email, or do you? How do you go seek out these kind of things? Do you have just like agents to, to do this? Like, how does this actually work? Like, like from a non NFT sort of art career perspective. So, I often explain my career to people in terms of a pizza, uh, unsurprisingly. You know, each slice is maybe a, a different discipline or, or a different medium. So, you know, one slice might be 
paintings, exhibitions, another slice might be picture books, another slice might be licensing apparel, toys, another slice might be NFTs, you know, but put them all together, you have my whole career. Individually, they're each their own sort of little beast, but the work bounces across all the slices. So one thing leads to another. I mean, uh, I didn't sit down and try and do all these different things. Some of them are pitched to me. You know, someone might hit me up and say, do you want to have an exhibition with us in this country, in this space? Or, uh, you know, brand might reach out to me. And, and yeah, quite often it's on email or increasingly now via DM, which is unusual. For, for me, I always feel it's a little odd, but it happens a lot. But like anything, and I say this to students and, and people just starting out, if you can do it once, then people will see your work in that light and then it will be easier to do it a second time and a third time. The, the more you, you know, if I had an idea, oh, I want to make a picture book, but I've never made a picture book before. I might have a clear idea in my head how it would exist and what it would be about, but I can't expect anyone else to have that in their head. So it's helpful to make it. You make it and then you show it to people, a proof of concept. And um, then they go, oh, yeah, we, we, we understand this. We think this would be good. Maybe we'll commission you to make them, which is exactly what, what happened with when I made picture books. Um, same with exhibitions or any other thing. You want to make T-shirts, get some printed yourself, like, you know, show people how your work would look in that light and you know maybe the right people will see it and invite you to do it maybe you can do it yourself i've been doing this stuff for like about 20 years now just over so it seems like a lot and there's a lot of moving parts but all these things started with just just trying it the first time and and sometimes it goes well sometimes it takes many many years but over the course of a couple of decades it builds up thankfully but yeah, I, I'm uh, you know just a little bit of hustling and a little bit of luck, and but the main thing is is just to to make good work like duh, and make sure people can find it. People are looking for good work. People are looking for good exhibitions and good artists to work with, and brands want to work with cool stuff, and they're looking. So make your work easily discoverable. You know, make good work, put it out there. The internet is amazing. And, and keep going and hopefully someone will will perchance it and uh, reach out to you when you do a project on on nfts versus you know let's say another digital project which isn't on nfts do you view them as how does your creative process work in, in nfts compared to sort of your other projects I always try and lean into what the media can do that other things can't so you know, I think with NFTs, there's, there's a lot of uh, like really interesting things that, that you can get away with that you couldn't do if you made a, a like just a physical print release or something. The way that you can interact with people, the way, as you mentioned, it's quite transparent, the way you could build up collections and have airdrops and all these other extra goodies. So I'm trying to lean more into that and think more about those things as that kind of stuff becomes more accessible. But I kind of I try not to think like I don't put different I don't become a different person or put a different hat on for NFTs as compared to something else I think of all of it as the same art practice and I treat all of it in this in the same way it's just like instead of working in watercolors I'm, I'm working with pixels 
And, but the, the work I'm trying to make and the things I'm trying to do with the work are very similar to what I would do with a painting or, or anything else. I just see it as, an, as like another outlet for, for my work and uh, creativity. So, yeah, you know, as you, you mentioned a little earlier, perhaps, um, I don't see the work as NFT art. I just see it as my art. And it happens to be distributed as a NFT or available as an NFT or on a certain platform. You know, I don't make one type of painting for one space and then a completely different one for, for another. You know, the, the work, all my NFT works, I hope, would come together regardless of which platform they're, they're on and, and be seen as like a body of like my work. And yeah, that's that's how I've always you know tried to approach it as just another strand of my career, another slice of my pizza. <laughs> There's a, a lot, majority of other projects where other artists have, I think, uh, increasingly you know emphasized community building. So whatever it is mm. that they did previously, if they were doing art in a non NFT context, and then you know basically kind of ported it over to this you know again it's it, nft doesn't denote a style but basically experimented with a different mode of uh distribution dissemination and obviously an audience that views it in a different context you know a lot of projects and artists kind of look at the idea of lore l-o-r-e um basically like you know that's just a kind of keyword or catchphrase for the narratives or the kind of um the stories that you know that surround the art or the motifs or mm -hmm. whatever it is that the artist is trying to create. And I'm wondering what do you make so far of, you know, that aspect, I guess, of rallying a community around projects, around uh, the work of single artists or even a group of artists. Well, what, what has been your experience? Yeah, it's fascinating to, to see how people adapt and adopt to this new new way of like talking about your work and building an audience yeah i'm sort of still dipping my toe in those waters i'm not particularly amazing i guess at like being on all these things at all times i think it is a, a real <clears throat> investment of uh, time and energy to keep the you know the ball in the air for everyone and and be chatting and spoon sort of drip feeding like the tantalizing details of the next project of the next person. So, you know, everyone's excited for the next thing and, and uh, tweeting and, and being on Discord. It's a lot of work. I think it's a, di a different kind of skill set and a different kind of, a different kind of art will emerge from it. And whilst I think it's fascinating and, uh, you know, what we are trading in is our stories, like regardless of the work we make, and the platforms it on in any way, really we're, we're sharing stories, stories from our perspective and seeing if people connect and resonate with those. And like, this is a, a really direct way of sharing that. And I think it's really good and, and really powerful. I'm not sure I've got my head around it yet for how I'll deal with it with my work. And I don't, yeah, so I'm I'm really a newbie at all that still. Do you find that your NFT collectors are quite similar to sort of collectors of your sort of other physical works, or or do you see a you know a distinctive no. sort of strain, or or how do you? Yeah, I think there's definitely a difference. I mean, you got to think back in 2020. Definitely, it's the early adopters and the crypto natives. The 
buying the NFTs because uh, hardly anyone else really knew about them or understood them. You know, even now, we all think everyone gets it and understands it. There's a huge amount of skepticism and confusion over it with people that do buy other kinds of art. So um, there's a long way to go, I think, for sort of mainstream understanding and acceptance. But yeah, I think there is a difference, and but there's also no, an overlap. And there's also, you know, my collectors of my physical work, and I asked them, you know, are you interested in NFTs? And they're emphatically not, you know, it's just not for them. The current sort of stereotype or the, the character, I guess, of, of NFT collectors is that there is such a close proximity between the artist and the, and the collector. Everyone's kind of on Discord, everyone's on Twitter. Social media makes, you know, feedback, you know, and because NFTs is such a, well, it, it's such a volatile instrument mm -hmm. and it's a financial instrument that a lot of artists feel a lot of pressure. Have you noticed this or how do you feel about? There's an increased interaction that goes wider than just NFTs, just the fact that anyone can slip into your DMs right. and say hello. And I've, I've seen an uptick in that in general over the years anyway, you know, before I would sell, sell a painting and you're not quite sure who's really got it or you might know their name from the gallery or something, so-and-so in this country bought it. But now they they tweet you or they DM you a photo of your painting in their, in their lovely living room or something. And so that's an increase anyway. I And, uh, you know, if, if artists want to engage directly with their collectors and the collectors want to hit up the artist and everyone's happy with that, that's great. For me... I find that can lead to somewhat a problematic uh, relationship because um, maybe I'm a bit old school, but I feel that the artist should just make the art and the audience or the collectors take, take it or leave it. When you have the collectors starting to shape the kind of work the artist makes or how they release it or what they do, then we run into trouble, I feel, because you're starting to take away the sort of uh, uh, art, you know, the artist just being fully in control and you, you start to have this kind of work by committee. Well, I mentioned it uh, uh, somewhat tongue-in-cheek a, a minute ago, but it's very pre uh, prevalent in our society. If you do look at things like Marvel films or Star Wars and things, where the feedback loop from the fan base alters the next installment of the movie and you might be pleasing the most vocal members of your audience, but they're actually probably a minority. And that starts to muddy the waters. Um, maybe it's a romantic notion, but of the artists like making the work in a pure, you know, uh, pure way without any interference from anyone. I've become an artist. I have strived to have this career so I don't have to be beholden to any sort of uh, commercial benefactor. Now, of course, it's impossible to exist in a, in a vacuum and not to have people, you know, I need people to buy my work and I want them to be happy with it, satisfied and to enjoy it. And I want to know what they think about it, but I don't want them to tell me really what to do. I don't want to know, you know too much because I don't, I don't want to be spooked. I want to be able to make the work that I want to make. And hopefully people will respond to it. And, and if they like my work up until this point, which has been made somewhat in a bubble of my, of my own, then why would we want to ruin that formula? So I'm, 
whilst I welcome the feedback and uh, hearing from people, and it is great to connect with, with collectors from all around the world and stuff, there has to be a little bit of distance. There has to be a little, little bit of gap between that because we're not collaborators. The roles that, you know, used to be assumed by the middlemen are now, you know, oftentimes adopted or assumed by the artists themselves. So I'm, I'm wondering what your view is about this kind of middleman kind of role. Do you think that maybe for your own uh, purposes, the kind of personality that you yourself have as an artist, do you think that it's something that uh, will continue to bring value to artists such as yourself? Or do you think that it's, it's actually a kind of obsolete role that, you know, should have gone out the window long ago. I think it's great that a lot of people can take their destiny into their own hands and be in control of what they're doing. I think that's really, really wonderful. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not excited to see the end of galleries or traditional spaces because I really like going to galleries. I really like seeing physical art exhibitions in museums and spaces. And I'm not looking to burn down those places and, and, and that tradition. Maybe those things can learn from what's happening in the NFT space and maybe be a little bit more uh, kind towards artists and uh, sort of update like how, how they're run. But um, I definitely don't, don't think uh, those things will disappear either, those sort of institutions. I mean, if you have a, a good dealer or a good gallery, then they work well for the artist and uh, we all benefit. And I spend more time in the studio painting and they spend their time placing the works in good collections and, and, and uh, you know, getting, getting the work seen by the right kind of people. Like, it should work. Everyone takes their cuts, but everyone does something to help push the art in the direction that they all want it to go in. And, you know, uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's not one or the other. I think there's a, there's a definitely an argument for a balance of all those things. And you can't live completely on your own. You're going to have to collaborate in, in, in a, in some essence with a platform or within a community to get your work out there. So I feel like these roles that uh, people might be glad that, they're seeing the back of in an art context will only be replicated in a new way in the NFT space. There'll be middlemen and agents and museums in the metaverse and galleries and that's in those spaces. We'll just assume the same kind of uh, relationships that they do in the, in the physical world. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, th I think it will be a bit of both. And um, if anything, I, I hope the traditional art world might, might get a bit more savvy with seeing how things are being run um, or can be run in the NFT space. And, you know, I've worked with some traditional spaces that are dipping their toes into NFT. And I think, I think that's only a, a good thing, right? We can take the best uh, parts from uh, both sides and uh, hopefully make something uh, more robust and fairer for all. Can you tell us a bit about what is the creative process for you? Because, well, the, I mean, the volume of your output is like massive, right? <laughs> I'm on your sort of info page and the amount of shows you, you, you did in 2021. Uh, yeah, really long. Took, took off this year. <laughs> I love making stuff, right? That's why I've chosen this sort of uh, 
career path or this is the only career path I could ever possibly have. Um, I need to feel excited to, to make the work. I can't, you know, I, I can make scribbles on a, on a canvas or a piece of paper, but for it to be any good, I have to have some sort of emotional investment or some sort of inspiration to take me to, to make the work interesting for me to, for it to, to hopefully be interesting to the viewer. But yeah, this year has been been really good. Uh, felt very, much freer, more open to experiment and play, and that has resulted in a lot of new work. And yeah, my process is I go to my studio and I have you know I carry a big bunch of ideas and inspirations around in my head, things I really want to do, things I've seen that have inspired me, or materials I want to work with, and I go in the in the studio like a man in his shed at the bottom of the garden. Exactly. My studio is in a different part of Brooklyn, but that's what I kind of feel like. And I go in there and I shut the door and there's no one comes in and I'm not disturbed. And I just make stuff. And a lot of that stuff is rubbish. A lot of the stuff doesn't work and a lot of it doesn't get seen, but you keep going and I keep making things. And eventually I reach a little plateau and I think this, this is good. This is an interesting thing. And the more you do that, I found the more inspiration, the more ideas you have for future work you get. Um, and it starts to snowball and you go, well, what if I did this to the work? Or if, what if I took my paintings and I photographed them and put them in on the computer and I changed this and I did that and I add another layer on top of that and it becomes animated. What if I add music to that then? Oh, and that looks really cool. Wait a minute. What if I take this, which looks great in After Effects? What if that informs the next painting I make with spray paint or acrylic or whatever? And then you have this like cycle of back and forth between different disciplines, different things that go into your work. And it becomes richer and richer and richer. So I'm always trying stuff out. I'm always eager to try different materials. And um, that's kind of my process. And sometimes you hit a rich vein of form and you, you knock a load of stuff out and you're happy with it. And other times you feel sad and dejected and you don't know what you're doing. And that's very normal. And you just got to keep going, you know? It's not always super um, fertile, but it but it happens, you know. There, there are other artists who've either taken on, I guess, apprentices or interns. For you, is that is that a, an outlook kind of thing, or is that just like a budget kind of thing, or is that just like personal preference, or how how do you think about things like that? Because it, it seems like once an artist gets to a certain point in the career, like it's something they either mm. think about doing or they don't do. Oh, it's great if you can do that and that chimes with what you want to make or how you make. And certainly I would love a team of elves, you know, <laughs> stretching canvases for me and priming them and doing all the kind of work that anyone could do, you right. know, that I'm not even particularly that great at, but like you just have to do because, right. you know, it's the, the step in the process. But there is a point I feel that you become the factory manager and less the artist and that might really work for a lot of people i'm sure it works for the sort of damien hurst and the jeff coons of the world where you have an idea and you just can have it fabricated by your team and that's great that's still very much being an artist and and everything but for me i prefer a more sort of hands-on approach and 
you know, for me to create, as I mentioned before, I like to be alone. I don't want a team of people like around me all the time. I don't want to have to talk to people all day long. I don't want people asking me questions all day long. I don't want to be teaching everyone how I do everything. I don't even know how I do everything. So, um, so yeah, I think there's, there's that line between just, yeah, having people, uh, manufacture or, or, or pre-make things for you to use, or just, you know, having, having a factory on hand, as, as I said, yeah, I love making things. I'm just as happy like scribbling, you know, on a piece of paper in my, in my, on my dining table as I am in my studio. And I, I don't think I'm the personality to have have a big operation like some of those artists that you you talk about. I don't think I would love that particularly. Maybe if it was like on a separate site with a separate manager and like I didn't have to go there every day, I could just pop in. That would maybe work. But I think I'm more. I used to have an intern, but with the pandemic, um, I haven't seen them for like a couple of years, and I've made a lot more work on my own. So. Maybe it just, I'm just a loner, maybe. And I'm quite content at the sort of rate that I'm doing stuff at the moment. So I don't need to scale uh, massively at the moment, I think. I'm just like, you've got to enjoy what you do. I want to wake up every morning and be excited to do what I do. And I know with added staff and everything comes a lot more stress and things. And uh, maybe I'm not best suited for that kind of life. Have there been any, um, you know, doors opened, outlets that you think are, in a sense, native to NFT art space that you have found potentially interesting for uh, new developments or new directions in, in your practice? I would need to work with someone on, like programmers and people that really know how to put these things together, because I, I don't. And it would probably take me a lifetime to get my head around how to do some of these things and i would actually love love to do that you know how to make dynamic works and to make my own contracts and work in that way i would really need help with and i would would i'm looking to do stuff like that so um that'd be cool i mean um i've been collaborating with my brother on stuff because he's a musician so we've been making stuff and and he's been making music for it and it's been um and he's been doing a little bit of programming. So that's been sort of uh, like a cool thing that we would never have been able to do prior to that. Um, but I am open. I'm open to doing digital wearables or like fun programmable things that we see, you know, like works that dynamically change over time and things like that. I would love to do stuff like that. I mean, I used to make works like that in Flash using Action Script you know, at the, the beginning of the century. So I'd love to be able to do that. When did you make stuff in uh, Action Script for Flash? In the 2000s, early 2000s, I guess. I was playing with Flash. I graduated in 2001. So um, for part of my, I studied fine art uh, in the UK in Nottingham. And uh, some of my work in my degree show was actually really um, laid out what my career would become in my degree show i had paintings but i also had large-scale like printed characters i had merchandise that i'd like handmade all as a bit of a of a joke 
um, I had like a Pepsi can with a sticker on it as if I'd like designed uh, the Pepsi can artwork, which like 10 years later I did, which is, uh, which is funny. So a lot of like foreshadowing of stuff I would end up doing. And some of that was uh, digital work. So I had little animations on loops that I'd made in Flash. And yeah, some of that with, with action scripts, I think, depending on the time of day, the image would be different, stuff like that. So yeah, the early 2000s, I was, I was into that. I can't remember how to do any of it, sadly, but I used to love Flash. I used to love that software. I mean, like you, you, you could mint them <laughs> as an NFT. Yeah, yeah, if I could find them now, they're, on a, they're probably on a CDR somewhere, you know, um, but, or a zip disk or something, but uh, they're somewhere. But yeah, that I made, I, like, like I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm into all this different stuff. I don't care what medium it's in. If I can be creative and play around and, and make works in it, I'll, I'll give it a go, whether it's, you know, Play-Doh or pixels or anything. So, um, and yeah, I loved it. And my, you know, I was on a fine art course where people generally like where they thought video work was experimental and unusual. So presenting them some floppy disks with like animations on half, half the tutors just didn't respond to it at all. They had no idea like what that was or like how you even evaluate it in terms of a fine art degree. So, uh, it's pretty funny. 20 odd years later it's all come come back around and uh it now it's like the, the big thing in the art world i noticed something interesting in your sort of installation work that the majority of the installation work or, or a good percentage of them are all in asia and i'm noticing your ex you know exhibitions as well that that you know you've you've exhibited in asia mm -hmm. um for for a long time is is that something that you found that that your work is much more welcoming in asia or is that just something that you've sort of identified and 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 and, and sort of tried to build that fan base or um, amazing asia over the years people have reached out to me and they happen to be based you know in asia and uh, shown works there and and people have been really receptive to it i i don't know exactly why uh but there's something in my work that appeals to audiences over there maybe there's this kind of character based thing and it's uh, maybe their cultures that embrace characters and mascots and and things like that a lot more but maybe that's just a really uh insulting simplistic way of sort of analyzing it I'm not entirely sure, but it's, it's been really good. And, and like you say, over there, they have an enthusiasm and often budget to match, to create spectacle, to create installations and things that I wouldn't necessarily have had the opportunity to do over here. So it's been really, I'm really, really grateful. And it's been really great to, to have those opportunities. So yeah, but I don't know exactly why. Like I had a show in China in Beijing in, in 2008, maybe. And uh, the gallery owner called me a European master, which was <laughs> very flattering. But it made me think maybe there's something of a traditional uh, European look to my work for, for this gallery in particular that really appealed to them. Yeah, I studied and grew up with all the traditional bastions of the of art history that you get taught in school, which is very much uh, leaning to a kind of European uh, white male uh, history. And uh, maybe my work 
has some of those elements and it looks it looks good to to those outside of Europe. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's not not necessarily for me to completely know. But, um, let's not knock it. It's good. <laughs> let's keep it going. Let's not ask too many questions. I just got the general impression that John is maybe not a happy-go-lucky creator, but he certainly marches <laughs> to the beat of his own drum. And I, I find that very uh, admirable in a sense because we've had other artists that have talked a lot about how they feel this pressure and they feel the need to even modify their style to somehow create work that's more in line with whatever it is that they perceive NFTs and NFT art to, to be. All, all that stuff makes my that makes me really un, uncomfortable. It's so sad <laughs> to hear because isn't this like one of the things we're meant to be getting away from? We're meant to be in control and, and not beholden to anyone. And yet, yeah, it seems like great graves of these artists uh, are just following in line with whatever's you know in front of them because they perceive that to be the, the the recipe for success, which is the opposite of what we should all be doing, right? And um, that's where I think it tips to me to be more of an art of marketing than any kind of art of creativity or art of art making. You know, when you're watching the markets for the trends and and changing your work to fit what you think collectors want to have or because something else has become popular, that's, that's not good. That's why we end up with very mediocre books and music and movies because marketing people have sat around the table and have said, well, this was popular last year. Let's make something that's you know more like this. And then we, rather than diversify, we just narrow in on a very particular way of storytelling and that doesn't make for doesn't make for long-term satisfaction or success but in my work of course in the short term yeah that stuff really makes my stomach uncomfortable <laughs> makes me feel unwell when i was uh, at college my tutor told me you should never ever follow the trend never ever do it because you'll always be behind you'll always be part of the pack and you don't want to do that you don't want to be like that it's not a satisfying way to be an artist maybe it's a brilliant way to be a marketing guru or something but it's not a great way to to be an artist and i don't think it's a great way to be as a as a human being and um you know you just got to make your own work and if you get lucky maybe things will swing around and people will be interested in what you're doing but if not at least you're still doing the thing that you really want to do and you're not trying to be someone else and be in someone else's skin. Because that's ultimately upsetting for us as, as people and will lead to dissatisfaction and depression, I feel. So it's better to be yourself, right? That's, that's what we should all try and do. And on that note, John, can you tell us who your favorite artist might be? Seeing as we're talking about college and stuff, I would say my this tutor that told me uh, that introduced me to an artist called uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, and he showed me a little photocopy painting of one of his works, and it was in black and white. And even like I just remember seeing, I'd never seen his work before, and um, first time I saw that, it just made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, and I was just like, wow, what is this? I'd not seen this kind of work before. And I think it was sort of criminal that I'd gone through all schooling um, and never seen his work. No teacher, no tutor had ever shown me uh, his paintings before. And it was just, it felt alive and vibrant and uh, vital. 
and just unlike anything I'd seen in a sort of traditional art history context. Yeah, you know, he just made the work he wanted to make. And he's he's it's all him on the canvas. It's all his his ideas and and thoughts and and uh, stories are there on the work. And I mean, I could pick a, a lot of different artists, but I think he, that really set things in motion for me when I when I first saw his work. And then when I first saw his work in real in real life to stand uh, amongst the canvas and see uh, his footprint on the canvas and smudges, and you felt that someone had physically been there, and you could feel the energy of of the mark making it was really uh really a seductive moment and made me just want to run out and paint myself and make work and i think that is one of the great functions that art can do it can make us feel alive so john michel basquiat and uh on that note thank you john bergman for joining us uh, on the show this has been an episode of floyd's rising Thank you for joining me for this episode of Floor is Rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow, and give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor is Rising. You can reach out to us, or send us a question. Just send us a DM at Floor is Rising.